Bible rightfully says that uh, what would it profit us if we were to gain the whole world and yet forfeit our soul? And I guess if there is a theme of this church, which I don't think we have, <laughs> other than preach the word, um, but if there were a theme, it would be this song. Um, I absolutely adore it because it is, as Anthony mentioned, simple. Uh, just a few words, but um, oftentimes I've, I say to the staff over and over again, I, I think oftentimes less is more. And um, I, you like that? I've always kind of believed that less is more. I've always felt really comfortable when you said, you know, you could have preached a little longer. I always thought, oh, wow, praise the Lord, that's good. But, uh, I've, you know, you also hear, boy, I didn't think that was ever going to end. And uh, that's not so good. Um, and so I am... I'm, I'm content with that song, and, and it, is, it fits so well where we are. For those of you that are visiting us today, thank you from the bottom of our heart. It's so kind that you would come. And we pray that we, we, we welcome you, and we pray that we, we present to you the very essence of what we believe, and that's not so much our church, not so much a denomination, but Jesus Christ. We, we want you to know him. Uh, we've come to believe with all of our hearts what, what Jesus says concerning himself in the word of God. We've come to believe with all of our hearts that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one can come to the Father but through him. And, and so we want to give you, the best we know how, those of you visiting and, and perhaps investigating about this thing called faith, we want to give you Jesus. We, we want you to see him. We don't want you to see the preacher. We don't want you to see the the, all the other things that we might do, we want you to see the very essence of what we are about, and that's Jesus Christ. And for those of you that come every week, God bless you very much. Um, thank you for being so faithful to our Lord and, and faithful to the things of God's Word. Would you please turn with me, all of you, if you have a Bible, please turn with me in your Bibles to the last book of the Bible. It's called the Book of Revelation. It is uh, singular. It's not the book of Revelations because the revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. We studied that in chapter 1. We are now in chapter 2. Um, we studied that in chapter 1 that we saw that Jesus Christ in all of his majesty is all that we need. Well, we come to chapters 2 and 3. And chapters 2 and 3 show, show us seven churches. Two of the churches, the church of Smyrna and the church of Philadelphia, the Lord had no rebuke against these two, two churches. But the other churches he did. In, in the church that we studied, the first church, in, in, in verses 1 through 7, it was called the church at Ephesus. And what he said to them in verse 4 of chapter 2 is, I have this against you. You have left your first love. That is a that is a plea to us as a body of believers. If I can encourage you more and more and more with each and every passing day or every week that we meet, that you and I do not leave our first love of Jesus Christ. He also said to this church at Ephesus in verses 1 through 7 that they were to stand fast against the false teaching. Putting to test Jesus writes to them through John, say to those who say they are apostles. In other words, to those who say they are Christians. And he says, and they are not. And then we looked at Smyrna. By the way, the church at Ephesus went through some persecution. 
Then we looked at the church of Smyrna, and they went through very heavy persecution. They struggled mightily. What Jesus taught us through the church at Smyrna, having no rebuke against that church, they were very faithful. He taught us that every single one of us, to one degree or another, shall go through trials. And then I mentioned to you last week out of the book of Hebrews, the 12th chapter, the first, the second, and the third verse, I absolutely adore Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3, because it speaks upon when you go through anything in your life, you're to fix your eyes on what? Do you remember? On Jesus. Not your trials, because your trials are there. You're to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. And then it says in verse 3, you and I are to consider him. Consider him so that we would not grow weary and lose heart when we go through whatever trials it is that we go through. We're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Consider him so that we will not grow weary, so that we will not lose heart, so that we will not leave our first love as we go through trials that we all will go through. Paul says in in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, though, when you and I go through a trial, we can stay strong. He says this, because there is no temptation, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation that has overtaken you or me, but such as common to men. In other words, everyone goes through something. To one degree or another, we are going to go through trials. But it says, and I love this, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that is, it's common to man, but God is faithful. God is faithful. You might want to mark that. He will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able, but with the temptation that comes towards us, it says that He, God, will provide the way of escape so that you and I might be able to endure it. So fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider Him so that you will not grow weary and lose heart, and know that God is faithful. And then he gives a wonderful promise to the church at Smyrna. He, he tells them in verse 11 of chapter 2 that he will not allow them to be hurt by the second death. That's hell. He guarantees believers eternal life. Well, churches, the two churches, Ephesus and Smyrna, had one thing in common, that is trials, persecutions, troubles that they had to go through. Pergamum, the, the, the church that we are going to look at today and next week, because we, we must make this a two-part series, there's, just, there's too much richness in there and there is too much relevance for the church today that, that we need to look at Pergamum closely because it, it mirrors, mirrors churches today. You understand that these seven churches that we are going to study in verses two and in chapters two and three, these seven churches are a reflection of all the churches today. And you and I, we, our church in our lives, we can learn much from these churches. But what we notice today in Pergamum, that church, unlike the church at Smyrna, did not do as well as Smyrna. It says in verse 14, take a look, 
I have a few things against you. If you look across the page, at least in my Bible, it's across the page at verse 4. Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, I have this one thing. I have this against you. You have left your first love. Well, here at the church at, at, at uh, Pergamum, he says, I have a few things against you. Well, as we're going to read in a moment, you're going to be able to see, hopefully, what is their downfall. What are the few things he had against them? And let, me, let me bring it to focus for you so that we can see it when we study it. First thing he had against them was they compromised their walk with Jesus Christ. They intertwined themselves with the world. That is the second thing. That is that they brought their church into the world system so as to be compatible, I would assume, with the world. Instead of what we were called to do as a church, and that is to bring the world into here so as to conform into the image of Christ rather than the other way around. You see, there is something that is certain in our lives as believers in Jesus Christ or those of you who are investigating. Christianity and the world cannot coexist. You can't have one foot on one side and the other on the other because the results will always bring about compromise and ultimately sinful practices. And that will happen within the church if we're not careful and also within your life if you're not careful. And so I, I want to preach to you about this. Here's what Jesus says about it in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, he says very clearly, you cannot serve, what, two masters, Right? He says, because, here's what will happen. Either you're going to hate the one or you're going to love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he emphasizes, you cannot serve God and mammon, or riches, or really the world. And so let's read of this church in Pergamum, and let's see how they made that terrible mistake. Let me tell you, their mistake isn't so much persecution. Their mistake is they got too close to pleasure. Pleasure within the world. Let's read verse 12 through verse 17. But we, will not, we won't cover it all today. We'll cover a, a good portion of it next week. But I, I'm trying to encourage you to come next week. I know that's... I'm sorry to do that, but no, I'm not. But, but, I, but I, I guess what I'm doing is I, I want you so badly to hear this all. And um, I, I ask your forgiveness. It, it, you just couldn't compact this into one message. It just was impossible. Verse 12. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast my name, and you do not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak and put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. 
Thus you also have some who in the same way hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Verse 16, he says, Repent, therefore, or else I am coming to you quickly. I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but him or she or they who receive it. I absolutely adore this place in Scripture. Not, not for what it stands so much, but so much we can learn from it. When I was young, one of the greatest privileges I had as a young person that wanted to be an athlete was to get an opportunity to play against people who were better than me. That was always the best way. And, and now we are at a place in Scripture where we can, we can learn to be better. We can see the mistakes that they made. And, and it is the mistake that is common, so common in the world in which you and I live today. It's the world of political correctness. It's the world of compromise. It's the world of, of, of what is right and what is wrong. I think you'll see by the end of these two weeks studying this amazing place in Scripture. Father in heaven, please move me aside. I beg of you. I beg of you, Father, that we might open up our eyes and instead of listening to a message by a, a frail um, preacher, we would be able to open up our eyes and behold wonderful things from your law. The very essence of what will change us, the very law that will move us into higher ground if we will, as you warn this church, repent. Where need be, Father, may we move more closely to you and away from those things that we have compromised in our life? Would you comfort us and, and conform us, Father, into the image of your Son? I, I, I pray these things in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, your Son, Father, whom you so graciously gave to us so that through his blood we might have the forgiveness of our sin. Father, thank you for your, your way of salvation. It is, it is precious to us. So bless us, please, and may we bless you, Father, back in return. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, let me tell you what God does not desire of us. He does not desire for you and me to become like the world, not, not in the least. What he does desire is for the world to become like us. It, it, it's, that's why it amazes me. Beyond your wildest dream does it amaze me when I hear that the churches change their programs to fit the style of this world in which we live. That is not what we've been asked to do. No, we've been asked to can remain faithful to the teaching of God's Word so that when anyone who comes in here that is visiting, that, is, that wants to see maybe 
maybe see very seriously what does God really look like that we won't, we won't sugarcoat it for them. We, we'll tell them the truth. We, we'll tell them the two and two are four. And, 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 and try to teach the gospel the way it was meant to be taught. You see, there is, a, there is this, this fantasy out there in Christianity today that, 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 that we're to make everybody feel comfortable. This politically correctness is driving me insane. That we're to try to make everyone comfortable. When in fact, if you study the Bible to any integrity at all, the Bible was written to make you and me uncomfortable so that we might see that we desperately need a Savior. None of us are righteous. None of us do right. All of us need a Savior. All of us are worthy of death. And so, we're to preach the truth as as best we know how. And so why do some churches change their programs? Who knows? Could it be numbers? Yeah. Some churches get really big. And could it be then finances? Yeah, more, more people, more money. Could it be fame? Maybe, depending upon the pastor and those that are there. Whatever it is, I, 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 I can't answer that. But I firmly believe with you here at this, the church, The Rock, we try to make this church where we would never, ever lose our first love of Jesus Christ. That's why I loved that song. It's the essence of, I think, what we try to stand for. We try not to make this church compatible with the world. Rather, we hold fast to the teaching of God's Word. And, and for the unbelievers that come, we, we want you to hear God's truth so that it might minister to your very soul. Well, it appears so far, as, you, as we've been looking through these churches that Satan uses two weapons, at least to this point, to weaken the church and the believers. First weapon, well, we saw it in Ephesus and Smyrna, intimidation and fear. He wants to make them doubt their Lord's care for them. The second, if that doesn't work, will be enticement and pleasure. This is what will happen in Pergamum. With pleasure, he will try to move them away from their walk with Jesus Christ to get as close to the world as possible. Look what Jesus says in verse 13. I, I, I know where you're dwelling. It's where Satan's throne is. He's trying to entice the people Satan is to move away from their walk with Christ. And let me tell you, it, it appears, at least to this point, that Satan does more harm with pleasure than he did with fear. Uh, how I say that is, the church at Ephesus, they were going through persecution, and he says, I have this against you. I have this one thing against you. You've left your first love. But for the church at Pergamum, the they were confronted not with persecution, it says. They were confronted with, with pleasure. And he says, I have, in verse 14, a few things more against you. I want you to, I want you to note something about pleasure. I want you to turn with me to 
to Hebrews chapter 11. I want you to listen to the words of Moses concerning pleasure. In Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews is, of course, to the left. Nothing else but maps are to the right. <laughs> um, to the left, you'll go past 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, 2nd uh, and 1st Peter and, and James, and then you'll find Hebrews chapter 11, please. I want you to look at Moses. Moses was a tremendous man of faith. It says when he was born, he was, he was beautiful. Uh, and it's very interesting that uh, it says in verse 23, my wife pointed this out to me, when, when Moses was born in verse 23, it says he was, he was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid. They, they did not have fear of what the king was to bring down upon him. But that, that's not really what the point of what I want to make, though. The point I want to make is talking about pleasure. Listen to what Moses says in verses 24 and 25. It says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, Note, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now wait, listen, if you want to be high on the pecking order of life, you'd love to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You would have all the money you want, all the position you would want, all of anything and everything that you might want. But he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Why? Well, it says in verse 25, he chose. In other words, he made, he made a, a, a decision on his own part. He, he followed his own will in this case. And his will was he would rather endure the ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy, note that word, enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Yeah, in case you don't realize it. Sin is, for a season pleasurable, enjoyable. I, get, I always get a kick out of the, the preachers. You know, sometimes on radio you'll hear them, ooh, don't go to sin. Sin is terrible. It's awful. Well, listen, I always thought, you know, when I listened to, when I was younger in the Lord, I, I, would, I had a, a few people that just I, I was blessed to know. Men who preached at churches in this community and, and a, a few of them outside of it. Men like... Uh, John MacArthur and, and Chuck Swindoll and Dave Hawking and Chuck Smith. And, and I, I got to know these guys and a guy named Alistair Beggs who teaches out in Cleveland area. And I got to know them and I, I begged them for their tapes so that I could listen to what they were teaching. And I'd listen to their tapes as, as often as I could. I, I couldn't get enough of the Word of God I wanted to hear. And so other times when I'd listen on the radio, I'd hear some guys preach, Oh, you know, you can't get sin is terrible. It's awful. And I was just fresh out of living in Hawaii where I was not a believer. And I used to always think to myself, Gosh, you guys should have been with me. I mean, if you think sin was terrible... What's wrong with you? If you're going to sin, why would you sin doing something terrible? Sin is fun. It's fun, folks. If not, what in the world are you doing with your sin? But it's only fun for a season. And if you understand what sin will do to you, it'll take you to a place where you do not want to go because when you get there, you will be in destitute. You will be in a terrible, terrible place. And so Moses, rather than, rather than choosing to 
be the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he chose the ill treatment with the people of God rather than the passing pleasure of sin. So which is your Achilles heel? We've taken a look at the church at Ephesus in, in Smyrna, and now a little bit of Pergamum. Which one is it? Is it fear or pleasure that seems to grab you by the throat? Is it the big bully or the beautiful woman? Is it that huge task that appears to be too great for you to, to even get a hold of? Or is it the shopping mall or, or drinking? Which is it? For Pergamum, their problem was pleasure. And then worse, as pleasure will do, it became compromise. They started intertwining, blending their lives and the church into the world's ways instead of the other way around. And finally, God forbid for any church, they began tolerating sin within their midst, within their four walls. You see, Jesus said to them in verse 13, I, I know, I know where you are dwelling. It's right by Satan and his throne. In other words, I know you're getting connected to the world. That's Satan's throne. Pergamum's problem, folks, was much like the world today. It's, it's, it's our problem. It's what we are going through so many outside forces coming against us, and especially against our kids. My goodness. Pergamum was a city full, absolutely full of idols that, that was built mostly around sexual immorality. That's us today. The internet. Movies. Television. Magazines. Billboards. It's all selling sex, if not to you, to our kids. In Pergamum, there were many gods uh, to worship. They, they, they were all given to pleasure. There was Zeus, Athena, uh, Deme there, on and on. I could, there, there, there's tons of, of idols that they worshipped. And they had this amphitheater right in the town of Pergamum. It held about 10,000 people. They had a big 40-foot-tall altar on the top. They had images of these idols that they worshipped. And then there was a throne. And wouldn't you know it, the emperor, who said he was an idol too, he was a deity too, he was a god, he sat on his throne. And so there they were. And all of this pleasure poured out before them. And so what does Jesus say? Boy, watch it. Watch it so closely. Watch it and learn what we're trying to do at this church. He says, I'm coming against you. Look at verse 12. I love this. I, I love this place in Scripture. To the angel of the church at Pergamon, write this. This is the Lord God saying, I'm the one who has a sharp two-edged sword. If you look down at verse 16, he tells us that this sword of his comes from his mouth. Look, repent or else I'm coming to you quickly. I'm going to make war against them with the sword of my mouth. It's very interesting. In verses in chapter 19 of Revelation, verses 15 and 16, we see the picture of, of his going to war with the two-edged sword that comes right out of his mouth. It says, 
In verse chapter 19 of Revelation, verse 15, 16, Jesus, it says, will come with a sharp sword from his mouth. And with it, with this sword, he is going to smite the nations. In other words, he is going to judge those who have rejected him. And he says he will rule them with a rod of iron because he is king of kings and lord of lords. And so he says to Pergamum, and to us, and to anyone who would listen. And remember, he says the same thing at each church. He said it at, the, at, the, at chapter 2, verse 7. He said it at chapter 2, verse 11. And he says it here at chapter 2, verse 17 to Pergamum. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. You and I must listen. And so he says to them and us, hold fast to me, for my name, he says, for I shall come against those other gods and other people who have rejected me, and I will judge them from the sword that comes from my mouth. I want to ask you, what do you hold fast to? Is it your fears? Is it your pleasures? Or is it Jesus Christ's? He says, I know where you dwell. We've already learned that he knows, out of the book of Hebrews, he knows everything that we're doing. There is nothing, it says in Hebrews, hidden from his sight. Nothing. So he says, I know where you dwell. You, you dwell, in verse 13, where Satan dwells, by his throne. Where, he says, and this is really interesting, this is where it gets really, really interesting. Where of all things, he names this guy called Antipas. He calls him my witness. He calls him my faithful one. He says that he was killed in your midst where Satan dwells. Isn't that what it says? My faithful one who was killed among you, verse 13, where Satan dwells. And so... There was, talking about this church, there was an influence of Satan within that church. Now, Antipas very interestingly translates to mean against all. Could it be? I don't know. Could it be that Antipas stood alone in his faith in Jesus Christ? Was he the pastor? Was he just one of the members? We don't know. Not sure. But what we do know is that Pergamum, the church, did something terrible. They allowed Satan to infiltrate into their midst. In other words, their environment became hyper-dangerous because it was by Satan's throne. It was where he dwells. In other words, they, the church, and the members of the church, got too close to the world. And Antipas, who stood alone, I believe, against them, was martyred for his faith. I want to be like Antipas. I don't care what the odds are. If I go down, I want to go down 
following Jesus. And, and wouldn't you want in the Bible, I mean, it's too late, but wouldn't you want your name written there and would say of you that you were his witness and his faithful one? Oh, man. Oh, man. Listen to what John says in 1 John chapter 2. It's to the left, just about five pages. 1 John chapter 2. Listen to what he says concerning getting too close to the world and the world's ideas and compromising our faith for the faith of the, or not the faith, for the, um, the things of this world. I think I just stole what he says here in 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17. John says, do not love the world. He says, don't even love the things in the world. He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. That's serious stuff, folks. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, they're not from God the Father. They're from the world. And he says, in this warning, the world's going to pass away. Also, it's lusts. But he says the person who does the will of God will live forever. I want that to be us. I want that to be us so bad I can taste it for, for you and for me. May I say to you the same thing that Kay and I used to say to our kids. Be careful who you hang around with. Have you ever heard that? You know, maybe your parents told you. Maybe you tell your kids. Be careful where you go. Be careful who you hang out with. Step back. Think, who are your friends? Step back. Think, where do you find your enjoyment in life? It'll tell you a lot about who you are. May I say to you, be careful where you dwell. Be careful where you hang out. Be careful with whom you spend your time. Those decisions can be critical in your life and your walk with Jesus Christ. Well, this church at Pergamum did a couple of things really well. I think things that we try to do. Number one, it says in verse 13, they held fast to the name of Jesus Christ. And number two, it says they did not deny his faith. That's marvelous. But as we're going to see next week, they, the Lord had some complaints against them. And, and, and you and I need to find out what these complaints mean and you won't want to miss next week. I know this sounds like a doggone commercial. It sounds like it's uh, one of those cereals that you used to, when you, none of you would know about this. When I was a kid, they used to have cereals. You'd go to a movie and they'd, they'd, uh, it, it, they played a cereal. I, I don't know how I got into this, but they would play a cereal and then they'd have the guy, the, the hero, going over the cliff in a car and then it would say, come back next week. And you say, you've got to be kidding me. He's dying. He's gonna, he can't get out of that. Oh, and then they show you next week he rolled out of the car before it went over the cliff. You know, they do that all the time. So I'm trying to do that to you, I guess. In verse 14, Jesus writes to this church, I, I have a few things against you. Here's what you've done. Some of you are holding to the teach of Balaam. And you keep teaching Balak to, and you're putting a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. Boy, we don't want to do that. What we do not want to do as a church is put a stumbling block before any of you. 
I was going to say especially, but not especially, not any of you. The ones who come to visit that are trying to find out about Jesus Christ, we don't want to put a stumbling block before you. We want to love you, but we want to tell you the truth. We want to tell you that Jesus Christ is the only way. We want to tell you that that there is no other way to salvation. There are a lot of religions out there. There are a lot of so-called ways. But there is but one way. And I know that sounds dogmatic. And I also know that doesn't politically correct. But let me tell you, it's the truth. It, it, it's, it's, it is, Jesus didn't stutter when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you cannot, you can't, you just can't come to the Father but through me. You can't. You've got to have a really a huge agenda to miss that. And so he says, I don't want you to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. I don't want you to eat things sacrificed to idols. We'll figure out what that means. And we don't want you to commit acts of immorality. And I don't want you also to, to hold on to the teaching of Nicolaitans either, he said. And you've done that. Here's the problem. Some of them did it. They were holding on to false teaching. Remember what he said to the first church. He said, uh, you haven't done that. You put to test, he said to chapter 2, verse 2, you put to test those who call themselves apostles and they aren't. You found them to be false. Well, here at the church of Pergamum, they didn't put anybody to the test. They compromised their faith. They intertwined themselves with the world. And they tolerated this. And I would have to say it, especially the leadership, unless Antipas was the pastor. But if he was, he stood alone. We don't know. But what we do know is this church allowed compromise. And then they tolerated sin in their midst. There's nothing that will ruin a church quicker than to allow sin to go unchecked within its four walls. Just can't do that. So you're going to have to come back next. I'm so I really am sorry. I'm apologizing beyond your wildest dream uh, that you, you're going to have to come back next week to find out the dangers of what they did wrong and how you and I can learn from it. And it is critical that we know. So come on back and uh, uh, sufficient today to to check. Where is your place of pleasure? You find your joy here at the church. Or do you find it partially here at the church, but partially at some place that you know you ought not to be? Don't compromise your life. Don't compromise your walk. Repent. Repent. When you arise, when you're alone, and when you come to die, just give you Jesus. Father in heaven, we love your son. Oh my gosh, Father, we love him with all of our hearts. We never want to leave, Father, that first love that we have of your Son. And I will, Father, but till my dying breath, try to remind us, these people here that I love more than life itself, I, I want to remind them that we cannot afford to lose, or leave, I should say, excuse me, leave our first love. And we also need to test those who say they are apostles or Christians and, and not compromise what we, we know the Bible teaches. So let us follow you, Father, with, with clarity and with 
joy. Let us find our pleasure in knowing you. Like Moses, Father, let us refuse those things that might be the passing pleasures of sin for the very stability of knowing and loving you with all of our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our strength. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I'll give you a little clue for next week. (laughs) Yeah, he talks about, he's going to give you a name that only you know. You're going to find that very interesting. I love you. Have a great day.